Nonsense. Youngins are really starting to get on my damn nerves. This is episode four. Coach David Thrower uh, just retired this year after uh, being carried out on a field at Mount Zion High School. Uh, one of my best friends. He's like a big brother to me. Um, he started out his career as a recreation parks and recreation director in Baxley, Georgia, and Claxton, Georgia, and actually started his coaching and teaching career in Temple at Temple High School in Carroll County and finished it, uh, spent some time in the middle of his career in Carroll County, and then finished up again uh, at Mount Zion uh, Carrollton uh, in Carroll County. Uh, so today, tonight, this week, we've got Coach David Thrower. If you don't know him, you need to get to know him. Coach Thrower, it's great to have you. Hey, Chris, I appreciate you uh, letting me come on your show, man. This is uh, quite an honor, especially considering this is state championship week, and you had a lot of Coaches a lot better resumes than your uh, phone than I, a lot better resumes than I do that are uh, you got numbers and access to. So, uh, but no, it's a pleasure to be here. I, 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 I've enjoyed listening to you for the last couple of uh, podcasts, so it's all been a lot of fun. Well, Coach, I, I laughed and, and told uh, my wife that we were talking about getting you on here, and she said, Well, crap, y'all been doing this for the past 15 years about once a week. You're just recording it this time. So it's actually <laughs> well, kind of I funny. Did, so. I, I just want to make sure the stories I tell you were uh, I don't get anybody fired or get anybody in trouble. More PG than rated R, you know what I mean? So, oh, yeah, I got you. We've got some good ones that go on both sides, but I don't want to cross the uh, That's fantastic. The line. I want to make sure we keep it fairly clean. So, when you started at Temple back in, what would that have been? 94 was my first year there. And Coach Oglesby, was he your head coach? John Oglesby was one of the teammates in college. We were the same age. John uh, was from Manchester originally. A lot of people know his brother Greg was the head coach of Manchester in the 90s when they helped Greg run. And the, the field in Manchester is actually named after Greg. But John was a Manchester guy. He and I were great friends. We still are. And uh, he went straight into coaching out of college. And I went into the rec business for about five and a half years. And I uh, worked with two great towns down in South Georgia and worked for two great rec directors. I was kind of like athletic director type guy that was kind of second in command, but I was kind of over all the, the youth programs and that kind of stuff, which was a great, um, really a great uh, opportunity to kind of get myself uh, aligned and start coaching because I never felt like I was really a rookie coach because I did so much rec department days, you know, as far as, uh, you know, toward athletics and, and supervising and, and coaching kids and you know, taking them home and organizing and scheduling and, you know, purchasing equipment and uniforms, that kind of stuff. So I had a pretty good background going into it. I had an older brother that was a high school coach. Uh, he was a basketball coach for 24 years, but he was 18 years older than me. So he was like the second dad. So I kind of grew up watching him coach. And I uh, was always around a lot of football coaches. And it just kind of kind of grew from there. But yeah, John O was my first, first boss. And he gave me my first job. He gave me a great opportunity to coach. And spent two years at Temple, and you know that was two of the best years of my career. Temple was a, a school. I think we had uh, 
20 players maybe my first year, maybe 26 or seven the second year. There were about 200 kids in high school. Maybe, I don't know, there were like maybe eight or ten schools in the state playing football that had less enrollment than we did. So, you know, this program was only about five or six years old at that time. So we started from trash, didn't have a lot of facilities, didn't have a lot of money. Uh, but our kids played hard. They worked hard. And it was a lot of fun. It was a great experience. I got a valuable lesson in just coaching on Class A level and really having an opportunity to, you know, John O gave me a lot of responsibility, you know, had a small staff, had about five coaches, so I ran the weight room. You know, I ran, I ran the special teams. My second year, I called the offense, and way before I was ready to do it, but it was a great opportunity to coach and kind of learn and, uh, and go from there. So it was a, yeah, that was a totally great experience. I love being a Temple those two years. So where did you leave? I mean, where did you go after that? Well, after Temple, I went out of Creek County, which is where I grew up, and uh, I went down there and uh, – Spent seven years down there. I actually worked for three different head coaches down there. Uh, Rob Ridings, uh, worked for Bubba Jeter, and I worked for uh, Tommy Walker. And uh, it was kind of unique situation that troop at that time because that was the first time Calvary High School was built. It was that 96 school year. So they had redrawn all the fitness zones down there. So basically, Callaway opened up with about 600 students. And uh, they closed out Hogansville High School in Old Hogansville, and they sent all those kids to Callaway. So when they built Callaway, they built town on the north end of town there. And those Hogansville kids went to Callaway, and then Troop and Lagrange both sent kids to Callaway with a zone. And then Troop and Lagrange swapped kids. Uh, I think the Department of Justice came in there and wanted to make sure that all the schools were kind of lined up around 640. Uh, race free to uh, mix because that's kind of what the community represents. So LaGrange got where their school was uh, majority minority and then uh, Troop had gotten where it was, you know, heavily Caucasian and it was almost like a, a different deal, like an, you know, almost like a segregated deal there for a while. So when they came in there, they redrew those fence zones so they could make sure that, you know, like every school was basically the same this way it was the racial makeup. It's really in the long run made, made it better. Right. But at the same time, it was tough down there those first few years because a lot of those kids with brains, they were very resistant about coming out of the truth because, you know, obviously their dads and their uncles and their brothers and their cousins and everybody they knew were Rangers. And uh, it was tough those first few years to kind of get those kids kind of buy in and play together. Uh, the kids played hard down there, but they were just a situation where, you know, those kids kind of grew up not liking each other. And uh, for those first three or four years, it was a tough deal. I mean, the whole school was tough. We probably had, I mean, we had fights after fights. You had to come, you had to come to school and break a fight every day. And it's probably a good thing our coaching staff was all in their twenties and thirties because uh, bottom line is, I mean, they were they were going to scrap down there because those kids just didn't like each other. So getting them to play football together was even a bigger challenge. But like I said, about four years after that, it's kind of started getting better each year, and I think it's obviously. Now, which staff were you on where y'all had the, the guy that y'all had to have him home? What was that? Who, what was that story you were telling me about? Oh, well, this, well, this, this is actually not true. I don't know what school it was, but you talking about the weekend jail? Yes. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't want to go into that one. Uh, uh, and I really want truth. I, I won't say what I do, but I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but yeah, we had a kid that got in trouble with a law over the summer. And it wasn't anything major. It was just kind of those deals where 
he was wrong place, wrong time, and with the wrong crowd. Well, the judge down there sentenced him to 30 days of jail. He had to pay a fine. And we're fixing our football practice. This is like spirit of host. And, uh, you know, we're like, we're going to do, you know, we got to have this kid, good player. And, you know, we don't see the jail. So we ended up the money to pay the fine, but he still owed 30 days. So the judge, kind of a football fan, and we got him to consent to what he did was come over down there that the kid could go to jail on the weekends, but if he, you know, he go through Monday through Friday, he could play on Friday night, but then he had to go to jail on Friday night after the game at midnight. <laughs> so we had, to get, we had to get him back from the ball game on midnight. And if we played on the you know, we got to run out sometimes on some of the regions. Uh, we had to hustle up to get him back here so they could get behind him and take care of him. And then come back on <laughs> Maybe we'll let him go home on Sunday evening, you know, so he can so get me to go to school on Monday. But, yeah, you know, and then the big deal was, you know, if you ever have Saturday games, we you know, never have one or two a year. And you had to get that joker, uh, uh, you had to have special permission to get him out on Saturday uh, to, go, uh, <laughs> to go to go play. So it was, uh, it was a challenge. But it actually worked out pretty good. I think the kid ended up got straightened up a little bit. And, and didn't bring that for himself, but uh, that actually wasn't true. That was another school. But okay. Somebody's gonna know who I'm talking about. I don't want nobody. Well, I well I know it was Troop where you had you played a lot of Saturday games. We did. We did play a lot of Saturday games. And, and this happened after I left Troop, but uh, Coach Walburn had a kid that I think he played ninth grade when I was down there. Uh, so all the games was you know he was basically Monday through Thursday guy. And we didn't dress him fresh on Friday night. But a couple of years later, I got left. The kid had kind of worked his way into the start lineup. And they had some Saturday games in the lineup on the schedule because, you know, we're in a regional with those Columbus schools. They had like seven or eight Muscogee County schools in the region. They shared two stadiums. And then in truth, we were sharing with LaGrange and Callaway. So there's always like, there weren't any Thursday games back then. It was most of them Friday and Saturday. And, the, and he was seventh day Adventist. That was his religion. So, I mean, his family was thrilled about, you know, that was their religion. They were serious about it. But they couldn't, he couldn't play on Saturday either. So it had to be, it was a big ordeal. I remember Tommy telling me, this is when Coach Walton said, he goes, that he had to, I mean, he had to write a letter. He had to go meet with the parents. He had to go meet with the, the local chapter of the Seventh-day Adventists. He had to he had to go meet with a head guy somewhere else. I mean, he had to, not the President of the Seventh Day Adventist or whatever it's called, the Grand Blue Bar, whoever. Oh, this was a challenge just to get the boy an opportunity to play because you, know, you didn't want him to start seven games for you on Friday and then find him back up three different times, you know. So, but to get him to play on Saturday was another one. So, it was always something, you know what I mean? So, yeah, Tommy got that one pulled off, but it was a, I thought he always told Tommy he could be a UN ambassador, but. Because uh, he could go in there and talk to most anybody, try to get what he needed. But uh, yeah, he had to go through a big, big taboo, had to write a letter, had to meet with, I don't know how many times he had to go meet with somebody. But it was a, it was a, uh, it's, you know, it's Saturday finished. They don't do anything on Saturday. That was their religion. <laughs> Saturday was the Sabbath, you know, for them. So it was just a done deal that he couldn't, he couldn't play on Saturday because he come to school on Saturday. But, yeah, that, that would take care of things. So it was always a challenge, that's for sure. <laughs> well, well, were you on Coach Walburn's staff? Uh, were you on his staff that time? Y'all came out at halftime and couldn't find him. Oh, that was the year. That was actually the year after I left. I left uh, after the 2001 season, and he, this that was in 02. They played in the playoffs and played 
Thompson, and I, I had been Thompson a year, so I can't remember the, the configuration of the locker room, but I think they were underneath the home side of the locker. So they went in a half down, but this is your Thompson one state. I mean, they were loaded. And um, uh, it was playing on pretty tough. You know, we've been a long time before that. It was like seven and nothing a half down. It's still a ball game, you know. It's a big crowd there. You know, Thompson's like, you know, they're right line of one to stay. But Chris in there and they're playing tough, you know, good ball game. They go in the locker room at halftime and they go through the normal halftime deal. And they got ready to back out for the second half. And Tommy said, he, he said, hey, we're going to get in the restroom. So Tommy goes in the use of the restroom. He's in there for a few minutes. And he, he comes to come out and he's locked in. So he's locked inside. So I don't know if it was a stadium security guy. Somebody locked him in the locker room. Well, that joker couldn't get out. And <laughs> he was trying to kind of get up and negotiate. Couldn't figure out where he was at. He was trying to go from this place to that place. And he ended up, they found him out on the top. He was sitting on the tractor when they finally caught him. But this game had already been started. And they go out for the third quarter. And they kick off and he's got the ball. But Troops starts marching up the field. This is their best drive of the night. They get two three first downs in a row. So they got the ball about midfield. And Tommy, wherever he was at underneath the home side, the home side uh, fans, they could see him under the bench. And they recognized him as being the head coach. So they just started talking, talking. They're talking smack to him. And the game's already four or five minutes into the third quarter. And the wall bench showed up here. You know, and the group got the ball. And everybody, Tommy was primarily the defensive guy. He was kind of more on, on that side of the ball. So it wasn't unusual for him not to out there. You know, he wasn't as ball with the offense. So he got down to fourth down and three, about fourth and four in midfield. So they look for Tommy to figure out if they want to put or go for him. Tommy ain't there. Tommy's <laughs> locked in the locker room, but nobody realized it. So it was funny because the fans were over there. So, you know, they, they saw Tommy. Hey, coach. Hey, coach. Y'all, y'all, y'all got the ball. It's fourth down. It's fourth down. And Tommy's like, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a few birds. Tommy's like, Tommy's like, Is that when you went with uh, Rob? I went with, Co- 
Bob Cleveland was our DC at first. And he got the Alan Sanders job. And, uh, you know, I'd never been uh, toward Atlanta or Douglas County where, like, I know much about it. So, uh, but I had never been to OC. And Tommy, uh, you know, we had a great office for that trip. Stacey Card was there. And he, you know, uh, just a guy learned a ton of football from Stacey. So, uh, I wasn't really going to move up and through, you know, anytime in the near future. And I had interviewed for a couple of head coaching jobs that all season. Up by that point, I've been coaching about nine years. You know, I'd ran the weight room and I'd been a special teams guy and that kind of stuff, the truth. And I would actually have the assistant head coach title. So, you know, I wanted to be a head coach at that point in my career, but I'd never really been OC. And that's kind of rare to hire somebody that's never been before that least on the phone. And uh, so, obviously, I was at a job and I decided to win it. And I didn't know much about Alexander. I know we had scrimmaged them a couple of times when I was in truth, like in 96, maybe 98. They had some good football players. They had some good teams there. What I didn't realize, Chapel Hill High School had been built just down the road from them around that 98, 99 period. They took a bunch of their players away. And uh, we got to Alexander, and, man, it was a challenge. We just didn't have any kids. And I knew Alexander was a bad football situation at that time. I think, give Dutch County credit, I think the school system's coming there. They built facilities and they try to up the coaches' pay. So it's a lot better job now than it was then. But they actually went 15 years in a row without winning the season. I like it like from 98 to 2013. That was a dead end job. I mean, there was some really good coaches that come through there. Cam Barron won our state championship at Hurt. He was there. He couldn't win there. Mitch Manley followed up. Rich won now. DC. Rich just won the state championship in He couldn't win there. We couldn't win there. I mean, the guy that came behind us. You know, Carol came by and Rich, Kenny Palmer did a great job. He couldn't win there. So, you know, it was just a tough, tough situation. But when we got to Alexander, the first spring practice, we're all driving up from different places because, you know, Bobby hired a whole new staff because Baron had taken a bunch of guys there to Hurst County with him. And, you know, when spring practice ended, okay, we took all the stuff we had bought in the spring, like, you know, our defensive line coach, who happened to be Manly, had a bunch of tires that he used to use so, for a lineman. So he'd put tires down, like they'd be working, you know, slants and that kind of stuff. He'd put those tires down to simulate offensive linemen. And it, that was how the line built. You know, they'd have a, a tire, whether it was painted a, a one, a two, or a three, whether it was like head up, a, you know, inside shoulder to guard, or head up to guard, or outside shoulder to guard. Well, bitch stacked the tires up over there outside the bedroom. We got about six of them. And then I had a bunch of hoses that I used off the offensive line. I had them rolled up real nice and deep. I put them over there outside the weight room. So when spring practice ended, we got through the spring like March, I mean like May the 19th or something. And then had like one more week of school, and then we were going to start wait, weights by June 2nd or something like that. We'll come back June 2nd, and all of our stuff's gone. And I'm like, what's going on? Where, where's all our stuff at? You know, we couldn't figure out what's going on. And uh, they said, uh, I said, we kind of investigated and found out, oh, yeah, county inspector came by, and uh, he said your tires and your hose said it was a haven for black widows and spiders. <laughs> so we're like, are you kidding me? I mean, this was what their mentality was. Like, somebody came by there and didn't even realize we were actually using this. This was not, you know, trash. This was something that we used every day in practice. So it was a challenge. Alexander was a tough, tough place. I think we, I think we won five ball games in two years and was probably five upsets. I don't think we had enough players to beat anybody, but we had a we had a good staff though. We had some really good coaches on that staff. Stephen Holmes, who was at Manchester, was a first year coach on that staff. Justin Brown, 
who went on to be a, a head coach at Trine, was, was a, had a great run at Trine. He was on that staff. We had a really good group of coaches. Mike Widener, who played down towards the Southern, was with us. And great guys. Everybody got along good. But it was just a real non-competitive situation. It was like football to them. And and I liked those principals down there we had. They were good guys. but And they were all former coaches, which drove me crazy because they'd come in there on Thursday while we were practicing. And, and one of them, they, they kind of did it in chest. You know, they'd come in there and drop a play and leave it on the board. And the coach saw it's like, this is something they want to see us run. And the AD was the one that was doing it. Uh, this guy, he just retired as a superintendent. I don't say, well, say his name, but he didn't know a lot of football. He's a good guy. But he drew up his plays when we run. So I sit there and looked at it. I called him up the next day. I said, hey, Rob. I said, I'll tell you what, buddy. I said, next time you drop something when we run, let's make sure we have 11 on the field, seven on all our scrims. Because that joker had 12 guys on the, on the board he drew. On offense, I think he has five on the line of scrimmage. So <laughs> <laughs> it was a challenging play. Alexander, it was a good experience because I guess it was, we were coordinated for the first time. So we, they weren't very good when we got there. And it was, uh, it was just a tough two years. We were in a lot of ball games. Well, we but, left, you we, left there and went, y'all went to VR after that, we, didn't you? We were in for seven years and I worked with White Law for two and then Rob had to go to the job. Little Rick, didn't have a lot of facilities there. Didn't have a lot of money there, but they did care about football there. And our kids played hard, and they worked hard in the weight room. And we had some football things before. We couldn't really get over the hump. I mean, it was one of those deals where we won six, seven, eight games a year, eight games a year. Uh, they went down. We never got past the first round. We had a good year there. Uh, we just couldn't. We were in tough seasons always. Bill uh, Rick people were, uh, they were supportive to an extent, but then, you know, there was this kind of fractured community. I think some of them like this coach better and some of them like that coach better. And it's one of those places that has some good athletes and has some good players, you know, that come through there. And it has some good teams that come through there. And actually won a state championship in the 80s. But it, you know, at that time, it was in like 2004 to like 2011, I was there. It was just one of those deals where we were competitive every year. We played hard. Kids were, you know, well coached. We felt like you did a good job with them, but we weren't going to overtake the top teams in AAA or 4A at that time. We were just good enough to put a good team on the field, but we had a good staff there. I mean, we had some great coaches on those coach, coach staffs down there. A bunch of those guys ended up being head coaches. And, uh, uh, you know, actually, I like to start, I can name seven guys, eight guys right now that are, that are being head coaches and all done well as head coaches that were came through there, you know, during that time period. So, VR was a fun experience, but it was a tough school day. That place was unique. Now, it was it was a situation where they would put 200 kids in that gym, and there'd be three teachers in there, and they'd give you a roster, and you'd have 40 kids in team sports, and you may have 28 in personal fitness, and they were on your roster. And the next teacher over here, he had two rosters full of kids. We'd, we'd have two or 300 kids in that old gym. We called the gym the, the Thunderdome. Scott Peavy came up with that name for it. He was on our staff. And, you know, it was like we just tried to hold them together and keep anything from happening because it was like, you know, my, my rules in team sports back then, I come up with this thing, and my rules were no fussing, no cussing, no fighting, no stealing, no disrespect, keep your clothes on. That was the number one rule. <laughs> you never know. You look on these bleachers, and they think somebody crawling up underneath there, and they're doing something they supposed to. It's going to get everybody in the world in trouble. So, you had to be on guard at all times there. I can remember, like, college coaches coming in, recruiters, and Joker Phillips, I remember he comes in there one time, and he looked around, he says, 
I ain't used the word he used, but I'm just like, holy cow, how do you do this? You know, and I said, <laughs> I looked at him, I said, well, coach, there's a, there's a method to the madness, but there's a madness to the method. But Mike Nelson, the reconditioning guy, who worked with Brad Allen Shuck through all these years. He used to love to come by and see us because it was like, it was like little Las Vegas in there, man. You just had to keep it on. You may have a gambling, <laughs> you may have a card game going over here with there's kids over there and there's $40 on a table and they're over there or in the bleacher just playing cards or, uh, we had a kid one time come through the gym, and I noticed he had the suitcase every day. And I'm like, well, he's got a guy's got a suitcase he walks around with. And it was one of those suitcases, you know, he had the handle you could pull out. And I look up, and then about a week or two later, you know, he's got the suitcase open. So I walked down there, and I and I, I heard him. He's making change. And this cat is selling daggum snacks and drinks out of his daggum suitcase. And he had this little <laughs> compartment, like a little cooler. And this kid's like, like I said, his name was, we called him Double Cheese. I said, Double Cheese. I said, what are you doing? <laughs> he looked at me. He said, Coach, he goes, man, he goes, he goes Dad, Dad is out of work this month. He goes, we just need a little, we just need a little help at the house. I said, Double Cheese, have at it, brother. Go do for him. Go do what you got to do. <laughs> but he was selling, he was selling drinks and snacks to kids. And I guess he was going to the Dollar General and turn around and sell for a dollar at school or two dollars or whatever. You know, just crazy stuff like that you see, but. We had a good place. I mean, it was a good school, but it was a, it was a challenge. That was a tough work day. Truth and Little Rick and Bo, both those places were challenging. They really were. And you left from there and went to Perry. Went to Perry and uh, stayed down there two years. Stacy Harden had two good years down there. Uh, end up uh, leaving Perry to go to Tryon with Justin uh, Brown. Justin, where was the Little Rick and uh, Stacy? I worked with at Truth. So I spent two at Perry, two at uh, Tryon. Went back to Perry for two years and worked with Carl Dixon, which uh, I love Carl. He was been an assistant coach for like 38 years. And he ended up getting a head coaching job, you know, kind of late in his career. But good guy, good football coach. And then go down there the first year and Carl gets cancer uh, right there during that first season. And we were in a tough, tough region. Uh, I think we played four region champions. The games two through five, everybody we played won their region. So our non-region schedule was brutal. And uh, actually beat Bacon County, which we probably had no business beating them. But um, went two and eight that year, and then come out the next year, and went I think four and six. And Carl and Carl got let go, which you know Kevin Smith came in behind us, and Kevin did a great job. And I had a chance to stay with Kevin. He asked me to stay, and that kind of stuff. But at that time, I wanted to get a little bit closer back to my home, where I was from. So, but Perry was a great school, great school system, had a lot of resources down there, good place. And the first time I was in Perry, we were good. We had some good. That's good teams, made the playoffs, and uh, we're always in a tough league. But we we were we, was, we had some players down there, and um, just the second time we come back, it had changed a little bit. We didn't quite have the same guys, and the schedule got even more rugged. And uh, it was a it was a battle those two years, but it was a good experience. So Perry, a lot of still friends down there. I've talked some guys from Perry in the last uh, uh, last day or two, you know, since they played in the state championship yesterday, and. Uh, a couple of old fans that kind of hung around and kind of been out around that program forever. They they keep in touch with me. And the old principal I work for, he called me last week. And uh, you know, Perry Perry was a really really good place. I wish I probably could have spent a little more time down there, but uh, it just didn't work out that way. How awesome was that for them to finally win one? I mean, that oh was... man, for for the Perry people, yeah. You know, I said for years, I said Perry, I said you know, the thing about Perry was this the Perry kids didn't have a lot of confidence in themselves. And I really feel like at that time when I was there, 
they were almost beat down because, you know, everybody around us was good. You know, Warner Robins was a traditional power. Northside was a power. Peach County was their big rival was a power. And then even outside of our area, you know, like Macon County had won state championships, Hawkinsville had won state championships, Dooley had played for the championship a couple times. So it was almost like everywhere you turned, everybody was good. And we were just kind of like we were just fighting. And the Perry kids, we had some good athletes, but they just – I said – and I told somebody one time, I said, I think the average guy in Perry, I said, they were like three places that people worked at down there. They worked at the Air Force Base. They worked at the Frito-Lay plant down in Kathleen, or they worked at Bluebird in Fort Valley. And I said, I think the average 35-, 40-year-old guy in Perry, he goes to work every Monday. And he wants to brag about his school and his team. But he really has a hard time doing it because this guy's from Northside. This guy's from works alongside him. He went to, uh, you know, he went to Warner Robins. This guy's Pete's, and he, you know, even when I was down there the second time, Jake Fry was a Hoka. The Hoka was having their best teams in years. So everybody, everybody was good, and we were just kind of battling for what was left. But yeah, for for Pet, for Perry and Kevin uh, to do what they've done down there, I'm, I couldn't be more proud. I texted him today, congratulated him. I, I think they they did wonderful down there. I'm, uh, and there's still a couple guys on my staff left that I know is pretty much turned over. But a lot of good people down there, a lot of good supporters, and a good community, good place to live. You know, like I said, I wish I could spend more time down there. But, uh, you know, they get, I didn't get fired. They didn't get cut loose. They just, uh, I just told Coach, I said, hey, I was one thing I did is, you know, I worked for 10 different head coaches, and I never stayed anywhere when we had a coach staff that, that, that turned over because unless somebody on staff got the job, because to me, that new head coach, he needs an opportunity to bring in his guy. And even though I was never – everybody I worked for, uh, when they got let go or when they took another job or when they went in administration or when they retired, for whatever reason, I never I never was asked to leave. But I always felt like, you know what, this guy may have somebody else he'd rather have. And I, I had enough connections and coaching. I had enough friends and ties. I, I knew I could find another job. And so that, I always could land on my feet somewhere. But – Man, I was proud for Perry. I really was. That was a that was a fun ride to see them and watching this on TV. Well, didn't you take a head coaching job for a day one time at, <laughs> in South Georgia? I did, I, and I was at Villarica. And, uh, I went to Pelham and interviewed. Uh, this was in 2008, I believe it was. And I I'd, I'd been on some interviews, and I'd actually been offered a few other jobs before, but I liked the by Dale Pelham, you know, make us a city school. And that was another, you know, area where there was good players down that area. Not necessarily at Pelham at that time, but they were in that area. So I go down there and I interview, and I went down on Friday, and I asked the guy that was interviewing me, I said, look, I said, uh, they had a home basketball game at night. I said, I said, you mind if I stay and watch the basketball game night? Because I spend the night in a little hotel anyhow. And he said, yeah, that's great, you know. And I said, okay. And I said, look, can I, I need to see the weight range. And they were in an old school that was like downtown. They wanted to go to, they were building a new school, but it wasn't going to be ready for another year. So I knew where we were going to be at that year was going to be where, right there where I was, you know, interviewed at. He said, well, I don't have a key for it. He goes, uh, our, our head coach is coach wrestling, and uh, he's almost got a key for it. And they just left to go to the tournament. I'm like, mm, this is kind of a red flag there. So I, I wanted to at least see what it looked like, you know. And, uh, but anyhow, I went out and interviewed on that Friday. Well, they told me, they said, look, we're going to, we're going to make a decision and let everybody know something by next week. And I said, uh, I said, okay, that's fine. So I wasn't sure if I had a chance or not. 
Well, the guy called me back like on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday. He goes, look, the job's yours. He said, you're interested. And I turned it down. I said, I said look, I, I appreciate it, but I really don't want the job. I said, uh, you know, I'm sure y'all going to find a good, good guy, this, that, and the other. And we kind of let it go with that. Well, he calls back on Friday. And he goes, hey, man, he goes, look, I've been trying to be. His sister principal's working all this out. I think the principal's about to retire. So sister principal, I guess he was going to be the next principal. He was trying to work hard to get the thing going. And I, and I appreciate that. But he called me back on Friday, and he goes, hey, man. He goes, look, I got more money for you. And he said, I got another spot for the sister coach, and blah, blah, blah. He goes, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be a pretty good little situation. We want you to come down here. And I said, look, I said, I said, and, and I was kind of torn because I really wanted an opportunity, but I wasn't sure if this is the right one. Or this, and I, you know, they were like 0 and 23. They lost like 23 in a row. So I knew it was going to be a big time deal. You know, it was going to take at least two or three years to at least get it competitive. And uh, go down. <laughs> so he said, look, he goes, can you let me know something? Uh and let me know something today. I said, well, look, I said, let me, let me kind of process this. So I hung up the phone. I said, I'll call you back this afternoon. So I hung up the phone and we were leaving to go to the Nike clinic. And, uh, I took the job and, and I called the guy back about two hours later. I actually got my truck and rode around a little bit. And I thought, I just want to thank to myself, you know, I kind of want to get away from the class and the gym and the weight room and all. So I didn't want to be around anybody because I just kind of want to think, you know, what do I want to do here. This is kind of a big deal. And, uh, you know, you're talking about relocating and that kind of stuff. And he goes, uh, so I called him back and I said, look, I'm going to take the job. I said, I want it. He said, that's great. He goes, I'll tell you what, he said, I got to go to a conference next week on Monday and Tuesday. He said, I'll be back in town Wednesday. He said, uh, call me back on Wednesday. He said, we'll get together. He said, I want you to come down here next week and meet the superintendent. And I said, oh, that's fine. So when I, by the time I got to the Nike clinic, word had already kind of leaked out. I'd taken a job. So, I mean, I had like 10 people at the Nike clinic. Man, Congratulations on your job, da, 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 da. And uh, I'd already talked to a couple coaches down there that I knew, and I'd asked them to send me some film. That's before I turned it down the first time. And uh, they, so the film was already in the mail. Well, I got back on Sunday from the clinic, and I knew I didn't want that job at that point. But I had to, it took me a day or two to figure it out, and I couldn't sleep. I, mean, I was like, oh, no, I don't really want to go down there. That's just not, it's not where I want to go. They got to, you know, it's, I don't, and they don't, they deserve to have a coach that wants to be there. So I end up, uh, called the guy back on Wednesday and turned it back down again. Of course, he got hot bad on that one, and I, and I don't blame him. But bottom line is that they did better by getting somebody else because I, I didn't really want that job. But it was an opportunity to be head coach, and I think the next year was like 2008, so the economy kind of busted, and they ended up losing a bunch of those things that they promised me, promised me anyhow as far as financially and that kind of stuff. So it worked out for the better. But yeah, I, I told everybody, I said I was the head coach four days in Pelham. I said, I'm only, only coach that's undefeated in school history and never gave up a point. So, uh, <laughs> you know, Pelham was, Pelham has done well down there. I think they've got a good program down there now, but uh, I just wasn't, I didn't feel like I was going to be the right fit down there. So, well, that's kind of what happened. On. Well, that I only kinda... asked that question to set up the Price Jones story. Oh. Because I know Price Jones <laughs> had success right. in Pelham. That's right, he did. He and, was the last guy before that had done well. And you must tell everyone right. the well, Price Jones story. I got a friend of mine named Tony Graziano. Everybody knows him in Rock. He lives out of Columbus Town. He's retired. And Rock and Price were buddies. This is before I knew either one of them. But Rock was coaching at Madison County. Not like, uh, uh, what's uh, Morgan County. Morgan County. Yeah, Madison, Georgia. He was coaching at Morgan. I think Price had been out there with him. 
But anyhow, they were buddies and they worked together and that kind of stuff. So Rock's telling me this story later on. And uh, I think Price might have been up in Athens or something, and I'm not sure where he was at. But they talked to each other on the phone and they said, Hey, I'm going to be up in Athens Saturday. And Rock was like, Hey, yeah, I'm going up there Christmas shopping or this, that, and the other. So they ended, ended up, uh, he goes, Look, we're going to go out and go, go to eat together. And he says, ah, that'd be good. So let's do that Saturday. Let's kind of plan on it. So when they got ready to go eat, they said, hey, let's go meet by that. Your price is so rocky. He goes, let's meet by that Mexican restaurant uh, over there by the Tassara store. And Ross like, the what? And he goes, the Tassara store. You know, where I'm talking about Atlanta Highway over there, over there by such and such, such, such. And Rod didn't have a clue what, what Price thought about. He says, Tassaris? He goes, what, what are you talking about? He goes, he goes, yeah, the, the, the Tassara store. And, and Rock said, well, spell it for me. And he goes, and he spelled out Toys R Us. That was the name of the store. I won't go use names because I didn't really know Price that way. I didn't know get to him later, but great guy, great coach. But he wasn't much of a shopper, I don't think, as far as uh, <laughs> children's, uh, uh, children's toys because he kept calling it Sars and Rock said, That's Toys R Us, Price. What are you talking about? So, I don't know if they ever got together or not, but it, anyhow, yeah, the Tassaris store, that was the funny one. So, yeah, I, I, that was. You were, you were trying to tell me the other day a story about, and I'd never heard it. You never told me about it. the two kids on an ambulance. Oh, yeah, that happened. That happened in true. Uh, that was actually right before I got down there. They played like Riverdale in a home game. And I'm going to tell you another story, too, after that. It's pretty good about that. He, they played Riverdale, and it was uh, the quarterback for true. They, they put him in the game on defense right at the end of the half. I guess they were like prevent or something. So uh, Riverdale gets a kid that gets hurt on that play. The last play of the half, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken. Well, the ambulance comes out to check on the kid. Well, the true quarterback was on the field, still on the field. So the team goes in the locker room at halftime. And when they're, the guys are out there tending to the kid from Riverdale, the true quarterback walked over there to him and goes, Hey, uh, Doc, he goes, I got, I hurt my shoulder that last play when I got tackled. He goes, will you look at it? And the doctor looked at him, and they're putting the kid from Riverdale on the ambulance to take him to the hospital. And the doctor looks at him and goes, hey, yo, uh, just come on get the ambulance with us. We'll take him to the hospital. So this was the starting quarterback. <laughs> and the coaches are going to the locker room for halftime with all the players. And the starting quarterback, who just dinged his shoulder, gets in the ambulance with the kid from Riverdale who's got a Apparently a pretty significant injury, so they haul off to the to haul off to the hospital in Lagrange, and Truth goes in the locker room in the old Callaway Stadium locker room down there. It was small, so you could only put just so many kids in there. So I think they brought the defense in there first, and the defensive coaches were going over their game, you know, their second half adjustments. So then about halfway through the halftime, they come out and the offensive coaches go in. But the offensive coach, the coordinator, he jumps up on the board. He immediately starts drawing something. And he starts talking to Tony. He goes, Tony, make sure now we're in this formation. Blah, blah, blah. He goes, now they got two high. We're going to do this. They got one high. And he mentioned, he said, Tony, now where, uh, where you at? And the kids looked around and says, Coach Tony got in the house without more from Riverdale. So <laughs> the, the coaches are in, sitting there. It's about six or seven minutes before the end of the uh, halftime. They got to go out for the third quarter. And the starting quarterbacks rode into the house with the with the kid from Riverdale who got hurt. So it, it was like the end of the third quarter, the end of the fourth quarter before they finally got the kid back to the stadium uh, to get out there to play. So 
I mean, kids will do some stuff sometimes, but the doctor just looked at him. I said, just like, hey, yeah, tell you what, just come on Amos. We'll, we'll, we'll look at you when we get to the hospital. He said, all right, then. And that's exactly what the kid did. So he did what he was told, <laughs> what he was told to do. So he didn't really fault him. But, yeah, I think the troop, the troop coaches, they were going nuts on that one. So, and I tell you, I know when they, they told me down there, uh, when I got down there, it was pretty good. They had a Saturday game of a Terrace Stadium. I think it was actually Riverdale again, if I'm not mistaken. This is another year, and they play up at Terrace Stadium, and it was a Saturday game. Well, at Troop, the biggest deal at Troop was getting all the kids there because we had like 75% of your team lived 8 to 12 miles away from school. They were scattered all over the south end of that county. So they used to run these buses down to West Point, and they have these pickup points. They're down there, they go to the church, they go to the rec department, they go out there in front of the uh, uh, the house authority place, and they pick up all these kids. And they would get them on the bus and they bring them back to the school. They did that year round, 12 months a year. They did that for every sport. I mean, that was part of the agreement when they shut down West Point School and merged the troops. They'd run these activity buses. Well, they had a new bus driver that day. The guy was subbing for the main driver. And the guy was supposed to pick up like at 2.30. Well, he shows up at 2, not 2.30. Well, they were like two or three kids were even there. And there's like 30 kids supposed to ride this bus. And this was like, Nine of the defensive starters and about five of the offensive starters are supposed to be on this bus. Well, the guy that drives the bus, he gets there at two. Well, he picks up three or four kids. He thinks that's his load. So he just takes them back to the school. Well, when he gets back to the school, you know, all the coaches, you know how it is. You got a Saturday game, too. You know, they're get, you know they're fixing to go to a pregame meal, and they're kind of getting around, and they're getting all everything together, you know, this kind of stuff. Because they're going on the road, so they got to get all the bags packed and everything. They're leaving like it you know, 4.30 or 4 to go to Terra State and maybe a 7 o'clock game. And uh, they look up. They said, where's everybody at? They said, and the guy goes, this was all that was on the bus. He goes, what do you mean that's all that was on the bus? And, he, and the guy, and they looked at the watch and realized the guy went down there early and none of the kids were there. So all the kids showed up after the bus had left. And then they hung around and just got frustrated. And they all just left. So now the kids have all gone back home or walked back home or rode the bike back home. They all left, and we got a you know Saturday night game. We're leaving in like less than an hour, and we don't have any players. All the kids are half you know gone scattered. So the coaches are you know they're in panic mode now. It's a sense of urgency. So they all jump in their vehicles and they just go run down to West Point, which is like twelve miles away. You know, on the interstate, probably breaking every you know law they can to get down there. You know, speed limit wise, and they get down there and they, you know they find this kid and find that kid, but they can't find this kid. So they're they're scattered all over the place. Well, down there in a the little in the little project, project area over there, that's where a lot of those kids live. So the one coach kind of knew that area real good. He just parked his vehicle and started walking. Cause he knew we all knew when I coached down the world, you know, which little which little apartments they all lived in. You know, we'd take those kids home so many times. Well, he goes down there to this little back alley corner where people used to kind of congregate sometimes, and there's about six guys over there in the corner over there in this little alley, and he recognizes linebackers over there. This kid's like 230 linebacker. He's a stud. And he walks over with me, and the kid's name was Baboose. The nickname was Baboose. He gave, you know, he's, he's a dog. Now, this guy was the house for the defense. And and Baboose has got two dice in his hand and about $200 in his in one hand. He got two, about 200 bucks in the other hand. And he's gambling. He's on the road. And, and, the, and the coach goes, Baboose is we got to go. He says, this Riverdale, we got to get, get on the road. He goes, Coach, you're going to have to wait for a little bit because I'm on a road right now. 
So he's throwing dice and winning money. And it's like, hey, we got to go. <laughs> so he's trying to talk the kid out of, out of going. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, we got to go. So it's one of those deals where I don't know. And they actually went 8-2 that year. That was one of the games they lost. I think they probably should have won that one, but they couldn't find half the dang up team when the bus driver messed up. So this is the kind of stuff that the, the normal person that sits in the stands on Friday night and pays eight dollars for a ticket. They have no clue you're going through all this during the week, you know, trying to just round up kids and get them there. Well, some you know, of my so. favorite times after I left Carroll County, because I remember you used to bring in, you you still took the Lagrange Daily Times, oh yeah, the actual yeah. paper, and you used to read the police blotter to me. And, oh, it was hilarious. And we would just get tickled with the level of writing. And the way the the guy said whatever, you know, two women got into a fight out in the Dollar General parking lot, and it, she was beat about the face and neck or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. beat repeatedly about the face and head. That was their favorite line. You know, it's it, always one thing about the Grace George. Now people learn how to fight down there. I mean, like they were they, they, were, they were not afraid to throw hands down there. So probably why yeah, they're so good always, at football. Well, that's probably true. So that, that was what they about, you know. By kids down there, they knew how to fight. Now we never had to worry about kids that were being physical. They could all run, and they would. They didn't mind striking it. Now sometimes getting them to play together was a challenge. But uh, that other that other part, you didn't have to worry about. You, you know, we had a we had a corn one year that was a really good player on our dome team, and he got in some trouble, some kind of domestic deal. And uh, that whole season, we we played us in two thousand one. That whole year. We had to go offense first on Mondays and Wednesdays because he had to attend angle management classes. So, I mean, that was, that was one corner. The other corner led the reach and interceptions. And that joke made like 420 on the SAT. Great little player. And took the SAT and made 420. They give you 400 points for signing up. Mm. But the thing about it was the kid was actually an intelligent kid. I just don't think he knew how to test and anyhow, he ended up getting in college, played four years, played two years, I think, at a JUCO, then two more years, and decided we're going to end up playing the Canadian League for about three years. But we had one corner that was anger management, the other corner was a 420, and then the free safety, who ended up playing major college football, we had a, had a kid, I mean, the first day of practice, he didn't show up. And this kid ain't missed a workout or a practice in three years. He, he's not there. He's the only kid we had to play both ways that year. He was our backup tailback and our starting free safety. And he was, he was a stud now. This was his junior year. He missed a day in, in the first two years he was there. He's not there. And it's like August 1st, you know, first day. You know how everybody's geeked up the first day. Well, he's not there. So the second day he didn't show up. So we're calling him. We can't find him. Talk to Mama. Mama's like, Coach, I don't know where he's at. He's joking. He's sorry. i tell you what he's doing. I don't know what he's doing. But anyhow, we go down there and find out. He's been shacked up with some 28-year-old woman uh, about a mile from where he lived, and she done, you know, got a hold of him, and he, he done like, this is a whole lot. What's going on here? This is great activity. It's a lot better than football right now. So, you know, was, and we've had no other instances of that. I know when I coached wrestling, true. This is a good one. I don't know if I ever told you that, but I was an assistant wrestling coach, and our wrestling program was like nine-time state champions. The coach was a character now. I mean, he never met anybody like him. He was a, he a lot of type A personality. He would bend and break and circumvent every rule. He didn't mind doing it. But we had wrestling over Christmas holidays. We were probably we had a tournament. 
and we go to this big two-day tournament they got at McIntosh, like December 22nd, 23rd. So it's right before the holiday. And we took the team up there. We competed. We came back and dropped everybody off. And, you know, we're going to see you. I think we're going to meet back on the 26th. So he's going to give them the next two days off. Well, we had two kids that show up. And I didn't know beans about wrestling. I mean, he had a legitimate assistant coach. He had wrestled for him and coached with him for a while. So he had he didn't need me. The only thing he needed me for was to make sure the football players were there. And that was my job, make sure the football guys were there. And uh, and I could kind of coach the heavyweights a little bit because they were all the linemen. And that guy, uh, two kids in the show. So he's perturbed, you know, because that's kind of my job to make sure they were there. So I, I, I try to call them. I can't get hold of them. Can't anybody answer the phone. So the next day, they'll show back up again. So he's like, go down there and find them. Well, I said, I'm going to call Grandma one more time. So I called, I called, they live with a grandmother. So I called Grandma and I said, uh, I said, Ma'am, I said, this is Coach Thrower at the high school. I said, uh, I hadn't seen, uh, and I'm going to use her name. I won't use her name, but I said, I hadn't seen uh, these two kids in the last uh, couple of days of practice, and we're just trying to check on them, make sure they're okay. And she goes, oh, Coach, don't worry about it. Uh, the boys are doing good. Uh, and it was that Christmas holiday. It was like in the 90s. We had like a record coach mail. I don't think it got over like 30 degrees for the whole week. I mean, it's like the low would be 14 every day, and the high would be like 28. It was brutal. And and I said, I said, well, ma'am, I said, uh, I said, uh, I said, where are they at? She goes, oh, they up there at a hotel in Atlanta. Uh, the, the rest of the team went to a tournament, and uh, they got uh, the bus locked up. That's what she said. The bus locked up, and uh, they couldn't <laughs> get back. But the schools got them in a hotel, and they're feeding them, and the boys are fine. They're going to be home in a few days. And I'm like, wait a minute. Now, I was on that same bus, and we got back fine. And, and I know they got off the bus when it's home and they left. Well, same thing. Go investigate down there. Them jokers done found them a couple 30-year-old gals down there, and they're <laughs> they, they just enjoying life. You know what I mean? So it, it was always something. You know, we had the same thing at Villarica one time. Kid kid goes missing for about three days, and not great football player. They had a bunch of foreclosed houses over there around the old school. Now, they torn those houses down now, but I think he got off the bus one day and Instead of taking a right, going toward the uh, the school building, he took a left and went toward those foreclosed houses. And we missed him for about a week because he was there was some gal down there that hadn't caught hold of him. So it was you got to battle a lot of uh, there's a lot of things you got to battle in some of these places. And that was uh, those were those were interesting interesting conversations. But Grandma didn't have a clue, bless her heart. Uh, but the boys had done uh, they had convinced her that they're fine, that they're getting fed. And uh, the school's got them taken care of, and uh, they'll be home soon. The weather breaks, or they get them a new bus. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I mean, fair so, enough. Yeah. So, that, uh, and I never talked back to Grandma as far as like I said. I just told the kids, I said, "Y'all get some bucket practice. Let's go. Come on, we gotta have kids." <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you can't really get totally mad at the kid. You, know what I mean? like, you can act like you're mad at him, but really, truly, like you know, I get where you're coming from. You know what I mean? So. It's, it was always funny. That old wrestling coach we had, he 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 uh, he was a recruiter too now, and always. And when they hosted the Olympics in Atlanta in '96, the South African Olympic team used to come out and practice at the Olympic uh, the practice facility Troop for wrestling, and they were housing them in Lagrange College, so they were practicing there for like four or five months. Well, he got to know all those international coaches for the South African team. Well, then lo and behold, about three or four years later, we got two foreign exchange students from South Africa. And I, apparently they were like, you know, younger 
kids, man. I don't know how they connect with these coaches, but they enroll in our school. And, like, these guys aren't ranked number one in the state of Georgia. These guys are ranked number one in the world. I mean, they're like 100 and one's like 170 pounds. The other's like 152 or something. But, I mean, they're beating, they're just drilling people. Nobody can even come close to those guys. So, their junior year, they both go undefeated. Team wins the state, the whole nine yards. And then the next year, of course, foreign exchange students, I don't know what the rule is now, but the rule with Georgia High School is you got one year and you're eligible, and then you, you know, then you know the not you can't go beyond one year with us, but with the foreign exchange. So they show up to school in August of the next year. And I asked Farrell, I asked the coach, I said, D, I said, uh, I thought they couldn't wrestle this year. He goes, Oh, no, no, don't worry about it. I'm gonna get take care, I'm gonna get fixed up. I said, what are you talking about? I said, uh, Georgia High School. I said, everybody knows that rule, Daryl. I said, how are you going to do this? He said, I don't worry about it. I'll, 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 I'll take care of it. That joker, uh, he either knew somebody that had a rental property or he had some rental property, but he knew somebody with some trailers. He got those jokers lined up, and they were like two girls that were like in their 20s, and these little just horny young women. And they agreed to marry these kids. They were going to marry these two high school seniors, South African kids, so that they could become American citizens. And then under the white book at Georgia High School, they would have to recognize them as, you know, they were, they were not going to fall under the uh, uh, the foreign exchange deal. Now they were going to be U.S. citizens. So he's going to marry. He's getting these girls lined up and getting married. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what do you mean you're going to do that? He goes, I don't worry about it. He goes, we'll get them an old in March after the season. He goes, so, <laughs> I mean, he would do anything. I don't. That kind of blew up in his face. I don't think that ever worked out. But he actually had two of these girls that he probably taught in school that were just kind of you know young women. They were just looking to have some fun. They're gonna marry them because they were both nice looking kids. <laughs> now, both of them were. And one of them probably like a male model. You know, he like one of those guys like Tom Brady. You know, and so they didn't have no shortage of girls that were clamoring after them guys anyhow to begin with. So yeah, he had two grown women that were gonna marry him. And go, they were gonna move in his trailer. And they were all going to live together and have a big time. They're, they're going to get them through the rest of the season. And I'm like, no, man, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> but he would do anything he could to win a match. That's for sure. I mean, there was no, there was no, uh, uh, no rule. He wouldn't, he wouldn't mind uh, breaking. I promise you, that joke would do anything he could to win. But yeah, true was definitely an interesting place. So after your second stint at Perry, you went back to Mount Zion, Carrollton, and that to finish off your career. Yeah, I had moved, you know, like four times in seven years at that point. I said, I'm not going in. This is it for me. Because, you know, I got to remember, I got late starting coaching. So, I mean, I was already in my, like, 53 then. This was like seven years ago. So, I wanted to finish up in one place. And Brad Gordon had just got the head coaching job at Mount Zion. He'd been to D.C. And if somebody would have told me in 2011 that, when I left the record, I was going to come back and finish at Mount Zion. I'd have said, they ain't no way. Because Mount Zion was a football, you know, it was a football door. You know, it was a doormat. It was a pretty bad program. It just been never had really been very consistent. But it just was a tough, tough place. But they had come in there and built a new school. And uh, they had got a coach of staff to come in there and really worked at it hard. And I think the prior coaches worked hard, too. and did a good job. But they just didn't have much to work with. And, they came in and kind of got that program resurrected and had some good years. So Brad was the DC then, and then he got the head coach job two thousand seventeen, and uh, I've been here ever since. So, um, and you saw us play down at uh, Clinch one night. I think you were at early then. Y'all drove over and watched us play in the semifinals that year. 
Mm-hmm. So that was an interesting team we had that year too. We had some characters on that team, but we had some good football players. Uh, that was the kid. That was the team I told you about. We had the kid that was the center for me, and uh, real tenacious, little gritty little kid. But uh, his mom was the principal, and the kid was brilliant. He was smart, valedictorian, but he was autistic. And you know, coaching him was different. And a great kid, and awesome. I mean, just and, you know, wonderful family, great people. Coaching him was a challenge, and uh, he, uh, I mean, he was full-blown autistic, so when he would have a moment, he'd have a moment now, and we are at practice one day, and his granddaddy, we used to go out there and watch practice all the time, and his stadium's named after him. He was a former coach there in the 70s. He'd been a school board man for like 20 years, and we're in the middle of practice one day, and he was argumentative because, you know, that's part of his autism was, you know, he, was, he would ask a lot of questions. I would say he's argumentative. But he always wanted to ask a lot of questions. And, you know, in a, in a group period, coach off his line, you got 15 minutes, maybe 20 if you're lucky, fundamentals and all. And you're trying to get all this stuff in. And he wanted to stop and ask you questions. And, you know, we'd already been on this stuff a thousand times. And we've drawn it. we walked it. we talked it. we you know, put it on the board, everything, you know, handouts every week, you know. So the rules ain't changed, you know what I mean? But, you know, him being in his state of mind, it was just, you know, he was just different. And, uh, we're out the scrimmage one day, or actually doing team offense, and uh, the D scout team lined up wrong or something. I, and whatever we were, I told him to play before. I had to go tell him. I said, "Go block backside," you know. And it would blow his mind because anytime you have to have make a change like that, he won't know why. And right in the middle of the play, like the play kind of broke off. It was a big run, and right as the back broke through the line, he turned around to me and he had just a. Yeah, he wanted to, he wanted to, like he wanted to fight, and he goes, "Coach, that makes no sense at all." And I just went off on him then, you know. I didn't, I didn't really curse him, but I said, "Damn it, Cade!" I said, "I was coaching at the Georgia Dome when you were shit and yelling your diapers." I said, "Don't you ever question me." I said, "Get your butt back here, call a huddle." And he looked at me and goes, "All right, Coach." You know, he so he was going to do what you asked him to do, but he wanted to know why he had to do it. Right. And that was just him, you know, but great, great kid. He was a gritty little kid, but, uh, and he'd never really played before. He'd been in a program, but he'd never really played. But, uh, it was a challenge to get him going because, uh, sometimes we, we would have an eight hour coaches meeting on Sunday and four hours of it would be devoted to make sure that he, he did that now. Because like I said, it was a struggle for him football wise. So kids, kids break, kids already got a college degree. Uh, he's going to do well in life, but football didn't come easy to him. And you've seen that before. you got kids that are, you know, they can be valedictorian, but football-wise, sometimes they struggle. And then you got kids that they can pick up football easy, but then they get to the classroom and, you know, they struggle. So that just wasn't his element. But uh, he ended up doing a good job for us. We had a great year that year, you know. And, uh, but that was the fun, the funny kid on that team. He was always uh, – we got a lineman camp the next year after he graduated. And our kids – for whatever reason, they got kind of uh, paired up with Grayson. And Grayson, you know, Honeycutt was coaching there, Christian, and they were power, you know, and still are. And, uh, he had all these, you know, power five guys on his offensive line. And all I had was a bunch of little dirt daubers from Miles High. You know, we had some good little kids. They loved our kids. Grayson kids loved those kids in Miles High. And they were like two different cultures. Like, Miles High kids were mostly rural, poor, kind of, you know, you know what I mean? Just, you know, kids that were just, you know, you know, it was a challenge for them. 
at the Grayson kids, you know, you kind of got the impression they were probably pretty well to do. They lived in a good home and had a two or three, you know, cars in the garage. And mom and dad were both educated and they made education and they had degrees. And uh, this one kid, he's playing for Michigan now. He started right tackle the Big Ten Championship game. He comes over to me, he goes, Hey, coach, he goes, Where's your center at? And I said, I said, Big man, his name was Trent Jones. I said, Trent, I said, He graduated. He goes, Oh, go, coach. He said, I thought he was coming back. He goes, Man, we were talking about him on the way down here. So he was a great kid. I mean, he had that personality. Everybody kind of liked him. But he was so smart. It was hard to really coach him, you know what I mean? Because he was so smart. I mean, just way smarter than I am, I promise you that. Well, I'm glad you said that about about those kids at lineman camp because I know you were a staple at, at Hodges's, Coach Hodges' lineman camp. And, and just the way things have changed since you got in it, in, in the coaching profession and, you know, I know coach Rhett Parson and, and a couple of other guys tried, they're trying to start alignment camp to get, get something going again, like what coach Hodges had. But right. I know you were a regular at coach Hodges's camp. I was. And just how, you know, Isaac, you know, Isaac um, and uh, Isaac and them got one down at George Southern, Isaac Farrell last summer. And I didn't know about that one until after I'd already kind of committed to go to one at Jekyll. And uh, Lance Helton and uh, Red put that one on. But, you know, what Coach Hodges did was special, man. It, it was unbelievable. And, you know, he ran a quarterback receiver camp the week before that, and they would have 275, 300 kids in quarterback receiver camp. But the lineman camp, that was kind of Coach Hodges' favorite. Now, I think he had 400-plus kids, I don't know how many years in a row, probably 20 years running. And they started that camp when he was coaching the Southern in the early 90s, and it ran all the way to the COVID year. And then since COVID, you know, it just kind of shut down. And I think he was getting close to the end anyhow. I was hoping that I could get through my career with him still doing it. But, you know, just missed going to that. But, no, I, I took seven different schools to Coach Hodges' camp and uh, enjoyed it every time. I mean, the great coaches down there. Kids got a ton of work. Uh, you couldn't ask for more. And it was four nights. I mean, they really got a chance to bond together as a group. But the coaching and the reps they got, the tempo and the pace and uh, – you know, you couldn't beat it. He asked me a couple of times early in my career if I wanted to work the camp. And, you know, I'd already was working two or three camps in the summer. And I said, Coach, I said, I'll be honest with you. I said, I like to come in and watch this camp. I said, because there's so much y'all teach. You had like 21 stations that would rotate out. They go seven stations per practice. And they'd have like 12, 15 minute period each one. So they hit on everything. No matter what offense you ran, you could benefit from not going to his camp. It was so fundamental based. And uh, pass game, run game, the whole nine yards. So I mean, you think about it. Every every you know every every offense has a double team, and every every offense is uh, you know going to have a scoop block, and every offense is going to have to block linebackers. And every every offense got to reach block down block. So all that stuff that he was teaching, it helped me as a coach. I know those first five or six years I went in there. Heck, I took a notepad with me and started writing stuff down. Because coaches would say stuff, and I said, they'd be teaching the same way I was teaching it." But maybe that coaching point, I thought, resonated with that kid a little better. So I would try to just learn everything I could when I went down there. And it was just, man, it was a great experience. I think I went, uh, Coach Hodges used to always kind of tease me because I'd been down there. I think he asked me one day to tell him. I, I think I spent 22 summers down there with him, yeah. uh, if I'm not mistaken. I think the first couple of years were towards Southern, and after that, moved to Middle Georgia. And it was in Cochran. I think I, I told everybody, I used to tell them about vacation. You know, spot was in Cochran, Georgia every year. I don't go to Florida. I don't go to Hawaii. I go to Cochran. And, uh, at the Royal Inn. Hotel. Uh, <laughs> at the Royal Inn. <laughs> at the, well, the Royal Inn, and then we graduated to the uh, Cochran Inn, I think it was. But 
Yeah, the Royal Inn hosted us for a long time. And then, and that's one thing that I think young coaches, these youngins, need to understand is, you know, they say old dog can't can't learn new tricks, but I, I know for a fact that you spent 22 years at that, and you still, up until well, I don't imagine you'll go this year, but you've been going to Coach Roger Holmes's wing tee clinic every year. I've been to Coach Holmes's clinic probably. I think he started that around 07, 08, so he's probably. 15 years running. I think I missed a year or two when I was still coaching track. He he was doing it in mid-April when he started it, and he kind of moved it to March uh, a few years ago. Well, after about three or four years, he moved it to March, which made it a lot easier for me. So I, I've been to Coach, I, uh, Coach, uh, uh, Coach Holmes' clinic probably 12, 13 times out of 15 years probably because he, he put on a great clinic, and I was always kind of involved with the wing team, most schools I've been at. So uh, what he did was uh, he did a great he does a great job of that too. That's one of those things that and you know I always liked clinic. Heck, I used to go to Nike and Glacier every year, and and you just make a lot of context there too. I think young coaches, you're right. I think they miss out on some of that. I think some of them miss out on. It's not just the football part; it's the camaraderie part, and uh, it kind of all goes together. The fellowship of it and, and that kind of stuff. And you make you just make a lot of context too. I can't tell you how many places I've been offered jobs. And throughout the years, I mean, I sit there one day and, and I, I can remember vividly watching Griffin play Carrollton at the Georgia Dome for state championship. And I was sitting there about the third quarter. It was a great game going back and forth. And I said, I just realized one thing. I said, I was off a coordinator job at both these schools. And the guy sitting next to me, like Andy Scott sitting next to me, says, you're, you're a real dumbass. <laughs> 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 you know I mean? Andy don't even cuss. Yeah, Andy doesn't cuss and you don't drink. Yeah, he goes, I hear dumbass. <laughs> yeah, how do y'all let me hang around with y'all? You don't no drink, he yeah. doesn't cuss, and I do both. Uh, that's the thing, like, you know, I, just, I think I counted one time, and I hate to say this, but probably embarrassed to say this, but. Yeah, I counted a lot of schools. I was actually offered an opportunity to go work, but, you know, I had a loyalty to somebody, or I just like being in those rebuild places. That's kind of where I spent most of my career, in a build or a rebuild. But, yeah, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't lie. I'd like to go, uh, I'd like to go be playing right now, like a Milton Walton's playing right here on my TV. But it, it was a great ride. I had 30 years, and, heck, I made a ton of friends and coached a lot of good kids and great relationships. And I was getting texts the other night when Manchester was playing Bowden because, you know, both of those coaches I work with, and Stephen Holmes played for me, and I'm getting coaches from our, I'm getting texts from our old Villarica players, like, Coach, Coach, you, you watching the game? Coach Holmes is on TV. You know, like that <laughs> kind of stuff, you know what I mean? And, and you know, that, that kind of stuff, you, that's priceless. I mean, that kind of stuff. I got phone calls from kids from Troop, and, you know, I got kids trying to keep up with me, and, uh, you know, after all these years, you know, Perry, there's still a couple kids in Perry that reach out to me, and, uh, you know, I got even Temple, you know, like I said, that's where I coach Holmes at. Uh, there's some guys here locally that, that play for me at Temple. I'll bump into them at a restaurant or something, and it's all worth it. I mean, the thing I did was I realized by year 10 what this job really entailed. And I thought my first 10 years of coaching, it was all about winning a state championship and trying to become a head coach. I thought that was the only, the only goal. And when I went to Alexander, you know, I told you those two years were pretty rough. And we had, we had established a good program through those last three or four years. So, and I feel like we kind of laid the foundation for what they've done now down there because they, they've remained pretty good through the last 25 years. But, 
you know, when I went out Xander, that's my first OC job. I feel like I flopped. You know what I mean? I feel like, hey, I, I've, I've kind of failed on this one. Well, it was really not the coaches as much as well. We just didn't have the players. But I go down and watch Troop play a playoff game a couple years after that. I mean, while I'm in Alexander, and it was my last year at Alexander, and I knew I was going to leave that year. And I go down and watch the play, and there's a kid that played for me that was at the game, and he's in his army fatigues. He graduated like three or four years uh, before, like in 2001. This was like 2003 game. And I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. We hugged back and talked a little bit, and just kind of carried on, just like you would. We hadn't seen somebody in two or three years. And we're sitting there watching the game about third quarter. He was coaching. He'd already done a tour in Afghanistan. And he told me he was on call to go back. He said, I'm, he said, I'm going to go again. It's just a matter of when. And uh, matter of fact, he left that night when the game was over because he got a call to report back to Bennett. That's where he was stationed at. But somebody had given him permission to go to the game. And uh, he told me, he goes, he goes, Coach, he goes, I want you to know something. And I said, what's that? I said, what's that, big man? He goes, uh, he goes, you know, when I got out to that desert out there, he said, I'm pretty lonely. He said, he gets lonely out there. So I can imagine. I can't even imagine. And he goes, I carry three pictures with me. And I said, really? I said, uh, I said, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? He goes, well, I got a picture. The name is little girlfriend, high school, and Jessica was her name. And he said, I got a picture of Joe. That was his best friend to play left guard. He played center. Those kid played left guard. They were best friends. And he said, I got your picture. And this guy is carrying a picture in Afghanistan, and he's fighting for your country, and he's got your picture in the pocket. So. At that moment in time, Donnie Branch, who was the defense coordinator of LaGrange, was standing next to me. And he overheard that conversation. Donnie looked over me when the kid left. He goes, dang, DTs, that's, that's, that's good stuff right there. So you just don't know as a coach what kind of impact you're going to have on a kid. Because I didn't really do anything differently for that kid. I did for most of the kids I coached. But whatever the message was, he got it. You know what I mean? And uh, he was appreciative of it. Still, you know, I – I can remember him coming to watch me play at Little Ricca, you know, when I was coaching Little Ricca seven, six, seven years after he graduated. And he'd come watch us play. So, you know, you don't know as a coach what kind of uh, real impact you have on a kid, whether it's good or bad. And uh, I just, that one hit me. But that changed, that, that conversation with that kid, because I basically, I was feeling sorry for myself. I was really kind of like being a loser, because I just felt sorry for myself. I, uh, I should have left. Here they are playing back in the quarterfinals, and I, up there coaching them two and eighteen, I could stay right here and we'd still be winning. And when he told me that, I'm like, okay, this I'm gonna be okay. This business is way more than to it than I thought. And I knew that, but I kind of forgot that. So when I had that conversation with him, I'm like, hey, this is I'm gonna be okay. Next job I'll be fine. You know, but I realized then being a state champion was great. Being a head coach was great, but it wasn't the end all be all. You can still be successful and not be those things. So yeah, I ended up settling that into some major rebuild programs for most of my career. I told somebody, I said, I'm, I'm just a journeyman offensive line coach. I said, I probably had more six and four teams than anybody in the history of the state of Georgia, you know, or set first-round playoff losses than anybody in the state of Georgia. You know what I mean? We were always decent, always competitive. Most places I've been, just never great. But, yeah, I had a chance to get us a really good place. I just kind of, for whatever reason, time and loyalty or didn't want to relocate or whatever, I just didn't. Didn't always jump on it, but it, it was a great ride. I mean, this 30 years I've had, it's been, I couldn't imagine doing anything else the last 30 years. It has been a well, we blessing. Are, we are going to miss you. The the children are going to miss you. Um, I mean, you ain't going nowhere because we're going to keep doing this. And uh, <laughs> we always joke, I, most people don't know this, but we talk about once a week. And, um, you know, we've always joked and said, when I finally retire, 
because I got to catch up that uh, me and you were going to go do radio shows and call obscure high school games like Stuart oh, yeah. Whitman versus Central Tobleton. Let's go find a game nobody else is going to want to go to. Yeah, that no, yeah, that nobody's <laughs> going to go to. That the kids don't ever get recognized. That nobody, they don't have their own radio crew. Nope. We'll nope. get Rock to be one sideline reporter and Coach Walburn to be the other sideline reporter, and we'll have a large time. Ain't no doubt. And I can remember going out and watching Albany High School. This was the last year they had a team mm-hmm. down there. Last year they had a school. Scouting them one night and played Daugherty. And like Albany had like 26 players. And Daugherty might have had 35. They didn't have many either. Now they and It was a great game. They're both teams were fighting the butt off. But I'm sitting there thinking, you know, these kids are, they're laying on the line out here. And they're not getting, nobody's, you know, this they want about a handful of people in the stands. I'm like, really, these kids deserve better than what they're getting. Because they're putting it out right now. And, and you're in a place to challenge, challenge the school again with and, and that kind of stuff. But it was just a, I just remember thinking back, you know, those kids, they, they, they just, they deserve credit just like these kids from Walden Milton's, uh, Walden Milton do that's playing right now. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's, somebody's got to coach them guys, you know what I mean? And those that's coaches right. were, if you look over there, one school's got four coaches and 28 kids, and they're playing AAA quality football, you know, you know, it's tough, so. But, I mean, I hadn't been in places like that. I've been in places where we were decent. You know, we were always competitive. But I hadn't been in those places where we reeled off. I told somebody, I said, you know, Tommy Walburn was at Troop for five years as a head coach. I think he won 45 games. And I said, nobody even remembers that. I said, because that was the same five years LaGrange was 66-3. You know what I mean? So, so it's kind of like Tommy told me one day, he said, DT, the thing about you is you always coached at the other school. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you were true. That was the grains. He goes, when you were at Lorica, that was Carrollton. He goes, and when you were at Perry, that was Peach. You know what I mean? Yeah. He goes, now you're Mount Zion, there's Bowden. You know what I'm saying? So, because <laughs> it hadn't changed for you. I said, no, it really hadn't. You know what I mean? But it's okay. You know what I mean? I, 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 but that one conversation with that kid, that, that kind of changed my perspective on it. And like I said, it didn't mean that we worked any any less, and we still bust our butt in the weight room all season and film and try to put all the time in you're supposed to. But, hey, at the end of the day, it's all about those children out there, and those kids on the and shoulder pads. And it ain't it ain't about me, you know what I mean? And some of these coaches we get nowadays, the, you know, you get the Twitter coaches and the the street agents and, the you know, <laughs> the self-promoters. And oh, yeah. it's probably time for me to move on. You know, it's probably a whole dinosaur like me. Probably needs to probably needs to hang on up, you know. Yeah, the Canva posts of I'd like to thank in the love letters to everybody, and I'm like to thank this person and that person, and I'm taking my talents to uh, yeah, people like us. That just isn't how we were raised. To no, you know, I, if I, I go somebody. somewhere, you'll see me in a different coaching shirt at the clinic, and you'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I, and you know, I can remember like going to those clinics when I first started coaching and, and seeing. I mean, like I, when I first started coaching, there was Nick Hyder at Valdosta, Robert Davidson, Warner Robins, Billy Anderson at Clark Central, T. McFerrin, you know, Larry Campbell, Dan Pitts. The, the Dwight Hostel was never a big clinic guy, but I mean, it, it, this those type of guys, they were like uh, or Jim Hughes. Uh, they were like a, there was an aura around them. You know what I mean? Ben Scott, you know what I mean? He was, you're talking about a guy that had commanded a presence in a room. So I was feel so fortunate just to have 
I didn't work for any of those guys, but just to have been around them and just to see them and how they operate, how they, and you know, they, you know, they would talk. And heck, you, I saw, I texted with Justin Rogers today. That we just went to stay in Thomas County. We texted a little bit, and I congratulated him on winning. And we talked a little bit in our text, just about this kind of same thing. And I said, I remember going to the clinic and just like hanging on to every word those guys said. And then a few years later, you know, it was Ed Pilcher, his group, Milt Miller, Mike Hodges, you know, Mike Yearwood, Danny Chronic, those guys like that, Jeff Heron, those guys, you know, I mean, like, you know, they were the, to me, those were the real legends, the real guys that, I mean, I think the golden era of high school football in Georgia, to me, and before we got into all this recruiting stuff, was the 80s and the 90s and the early mid-2000s. They started changing about 15 years ago. Agreed. But that, the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s was the golden era because you had towns that were the support of their team, players, and, and recruiting's always existed. It's never like it's – I'm not saying it, it never happened, but pro, pro people didn't build their programs around that. You know what I mean? It, it's always been out there, and it's always you – know, you can always name this case or that case. But for the most part, you develop your players in your feeder program, you got them ready to play in the you know the weight room. They came through your junior high, your middle school, or even the rec league to the JV, the ninth grade, up to the varsity. And those kids grew up playing cup ball when they were nine years old in the back of the end zone, wanting to play for their school when they got to be old enough. And 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 that's that was high school football. And two towns coming together and battling out, and then go out there and knock heads with each other, and then come back twelve months later and do it again. And you got bragging rights for that amount of time in between. That to me was the hero that we'll never go back to. You know what I mean? Just unfortunately, it's not going. To, it's come a come a business now. It's commercialized. It's just uh, like I said with NIL and all this kind of stuff. I don't know what that's going to change or how it's going to change, but I know one thing: not everybody's going to benefit from it. I tell you that it won't be equal. <laughs> no, y'all tickled me when y'all wrote up on the board the Mount Zion NIL package and sent me oh, a yeah. picture of it. And that that looked about like the one we got at our place, except yeah, we couldn't we offer the uh, we couldn't offer the the fishing experience. Ours was more of a hunting. And we, uh, we had the same uh, Jimmy Joe's quick sack, blue Takis, and orange power. There you go. Um, yeah, we had, we had Burwell Corner Store. They had uh, uh, fresh biscuits, uh, live bait, cold beer. And uh, <laughs> they the other little, the little store down the road. Uh, it's a little questionable in there sometimes. And I think we put out uh, over, uh, uh, overpriced chips, underage vapes, and uh, <laughs> uh, gasoline that's Quality seventy percent gas, only thirty percent water. So, <laughs> that's a heck of a deal. Local beach there, you know, where we got you know fast fishing. <laughs> yeah, so, and y'all are six know, miles from y'all are six miles from Carrollton, <laughs> where yeah, where they've got whatever. Yeah, all the coaches are flying to see Juju Lewis. They stop at the airport there between Mount Zion and Carrollton. It's actually in our little school zone. So the famous coaches that ride through the. Uh, I fly into uh, Carrollton to go see these guys. They're flying into uh, uh, they're flying into the Mount Zion, and they're riding right by us heading to Carrollton or somewhere to go see. Central's got to be running back now, and it's like a power five guy. So I guess he'll be the next one too. But yeah, they're they're uh, <laughs> that's that's how we roll down here, baby. But uh, like I said, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I couldn't imagine I've done anything else the last thirty years. A lot of good relationships uh, with kids, and, and then just great camaraderie and fellowship with coaches and 
yeah, it's just uh, it's been a blessing. Ain't no question about that. Well, Coach, I sure do appreciate you being on. Uh, look forward to talking to you again. And uh, as always, thanks for being there for me. Um, you've been my friend, my brother for the past 15 years, like the big brother I've never had. I, I love you. And if I ever, I know if I ever need anything, you'll always be there for me. And I appreciate that. Well, same here, every bit of that. You know that's true. It's just, you know, it's just one of those deals where it's like, you know, like you just said, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a brotherhood. It's a fraternity. And, uh, you know, we made it work one way or the other. You know what I mean? But I appreciate everything you just said. And I, I feel the same as that way. All right. Thanks, DT. And we'll talk to hey, you later. Talk to you, Chris, man. We'll holler at you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.